Hi, this is Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicles, and I want to welcome you to another episode of Stories of the Supernatural. Whether you're watching a video or listening to a podcast, please like and subscribe to us so that you can get notification of when a new show is released. Links to videos or MP3 files can be found on MiamiGhostChronicles.com. Go to MarlenePardo.com for information on new book releases. I narrate several podcast series that can be found on major podcast platforms and can also be listened to via Alexa, Sonus, and other home systems. Look for Supernatural Storytime for scary storytelling, Nightshade Diary for classic horror and adventure stories, Stories of the Supernatural for interviews with different guests on the show. If you want to get noteworthy news about the paranormal world, true crime conspiracy stories, and anything that is just plain weird, just visit Stranger Than Fiction Stories tab at MiamiGhostChronicles.com or find us on Blogspot. I want to thank you for being part of my audience, and I think you are all wonderful. Hi, everybody. How's everybody doing? This is Marlene with Stories of the Supernatural, and here we are back again. And I know you guys are all used to hearing all the weird noises, but today uh, the show I'm doing it in the middle of the day, so you're going to hear more, more of my chickens and the roosters back because they're outside my window. And, you know, I think they put out a memo that all the roosters come under the window of my office and they will start to crow there. I think it's a conspiracy, to be honest with you. But anyway, um, let me talk about our, my sponsor. One of my sponsors is Plan to Stay See what I mean? Plan to Stay Safe. And they've got a lot of neat gadgets. They've got like, um, you know, like the nanny cams. They've got travel alarms. Let's say you're going to go traveling and you want to put alarm, let's say, on the doorknob of your hotel room. They've got neat stuff like that. Uh, they've got all these little gadgets. If you got want to put a hidden camera on your eyeglasses, this is like I spy stuff. Uh, they've got all that neat stuff. Uh, in other words, not. They also have like, um, uh, you know, how can I say cameras for inside your home? Not the big things, but stuff like you can move around. That's why it's planned to stay safe, whether you're at home or whether you're, you're traveling. Stuff that's uh, how can I say it's portable. All right portable that you can take with you and the neat little gadgets and things like that so go ahead and uh, find them at plan to stay plan to stay safe.com plan to stay safe.com they've got a lot of uh good items like i said that the average person can use all right it doesn't have it's not necessarily the most high tech or, or somebody that is like into the deep security service this is for the everyday person okay to safeguard their property their person you know whether you're at home or traveling or even jogging they've got something for you and they've got a great line of self-defense products for women as well so check them out uh okay and and, and before anybody says anything about the chickens okay i'm gonna renege on my chicken videos i've got to get out there and take some chicken videos it's just been crazy out here where we're at we've got a lot of things going on but anyway guys let me get on to introduce who i have as a guest this is a first time guest here on stories of the supernatural and her name is miriam van scott and she lives in Charleston, South Carolina, was born in Washington, D.C., raised in Northern Virginia, and she attended George Washington University and George Mason, earning a B.A. in journalism in 1992. 
She started her career working in public relations for private corporations and government agency and worked as a photojournalist for the Fairfax Journal, Manassas Journal Messenger, and Prince William Junction News. Her early gigs included running site PR for the very first Lollapalooza tour in 1991. I remember Lollapalooza! And interviewing Watergate mastermind G. Gordon Liddy. After the publication of her first book in 1998, she became a full-time freelance writer. Her articles and photos have appeared in over 30 publications, ranging from Good Housekeeping magazine to the Chicken Soup for the Soul books, TV shows, and podcasts. She's provided content to the History Channel, Sci-Fi, The Learning Channel, ABC News, Paramount Entertainment Group, Entertainment Group, Media General, and many others. Her debut novel, Bandoon Gate, a fact-inspired horror story about murder hauntings and paranormal battles along Charleston's Cursed Shore is an Amazon bestseller. And uh, help me uh, welcome her. How are you doing today, Miriam? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for having me, Marlene. On the contrary, it is my pleasure. And for the audience, we were talking right before we started rolling, we were talking about your work. And I want to say, how long ago? 20 years ago, you published a nonfiction book, a reference book, as you said, titled Encyclopedia of Hell. And I'd like to ask you, what what made you want to put that book together? Or how did you come um, up with that idea? I actually came up with the idea because at the time I was looking for a book like that. I was looking for a book that would sort of in one volume bring together different descriptions of the underworld from different religions and myths and artwork. Because uh, before, if you wanted to do any research on the afterlife, you would literally need to get a bunch of books on religion and a bunch of books on myth and a bunch of books on pop culture references and a bunch of books on art and literature. And it was pretty cumbersome. And I thought it would be great to have just one source to pull it all together. Um, A book like that didn't exist. So I pitched the idea to an agent and she liked it. And then she was able to sell it to uh, St. Martin's Press. Okay. And we were talking earlier. So when you published this book, this was 1998. And for those people who are not a little bit younger, shall we say, there was a time when the internet wasn't around (laughs) or not as the way we have it now, where research is not as as easy as it is now. And exactly what you were saying, you would have had to spend hours and hours in a library or somewhere uh, just to start getting into that. Because let me ask you, I imagine the concept of hell, this is, you know, it's not a uh, Judeo-Christian concept at all, right? No, it goes back thousands of years, uh, back to the Babylonians. Uh, Egyptians had a concept of a dark afterlife. Uh, even even Eastern religion religions, they also have uh, parts of the afterlife that even, even the ones that believe in reincarnation believe that the soul will spend time in another realm where it will be tortured or at least punished. So it's pretty much a universal concept. Right. The first ruler of hell was actually a female in the Babylonian myth. So really, it, who's it that? Ershkigal. She okay. was the she she descended to the underworld and ended up becoming trapped there. She became the sort of the mistress of the damned. Um, okay. I only bring that up because again, people think, oh, the oldest concepts of hell are like you're saying Judeo-Christian concepts mm-hmm. of and Satan, but really, there's there's much more to it than that. Right. We always think of Lucifer, you know, cast out of heaven because he rebelled against God and then he's, you know, put to rule over hell. That's the one that everybody thinks of as, yeah, he's the one that runs hell. 
and people don't realize that there's a an ancient pre-christian judeo version um you know if we go around that central idea of hell or at least a place where you get punished you know for and you know you think about it um was there uh were all these concepts that you ran across were they like for eternity or were they like you stay there for a while and then you get out there's there's actually pretty much a range some of them are for eternity some of them are you are punished and then you are released or reincarnated some of them you're punished for a certain amount of years and then annihilated so that's what i'm saying they sort of run the gamut and even religions uh, there are many eastern religions that they don't really have a system of reward and punishment per se the way we think of it in a judeo-christian um in those theories what they believe in is that in the afterlife it's sort of a time of for lack of a better phrase you get what you deserve Mm-hmm. And so if souls are suffering in the afterlife, it's because it's a direct action of because of what they did on earth. There's nobody from the outside enforcing punishment on them. It would be the same thing that if you uh, if you drink too much, you get a hangover. If you eat right. spoiled food, you get sick. There's nobody, oh, you know, pushing that onto you. You have done that to yourself and now you have to deal with it. Right. So, cause and effect. Exactly. So the, the ideas of hell sort of run the gamut of, like you were saying, from the idea that it's eternal to it's temporary and then you're forgiven, it's temporary and then you're reincarnated, it's temporary and then your soul just ceases to exist. Right. And you see in even a lot of these ancient, especially if you had some, some wealth where they absolutely believed in that afterlife where they would kill horses, animals, people, you know, servants, all these things that were supposedly going to serve them in the afterlife right. and i'm i take it they were assuming they weren't going to go to hell you know <laughs> well that's in some of the old traditions i guess egyptian is the best known one because of the pyramids mm-hmm. uh yeah the idea is whatever you were in life you would just sort of continue that in the afterlife so if you were a rich king yeah you would bury a bunch of of food and and uh, supplies and animals yes. with you and then you would have access to them in the next world Unfortunately, if you were a slave in this world, you would usually be killed and then put in the pyramid to with the idea that you would then become a slave in the afterlife. Right. There was no getting away from it, which is my it makes you wonder, though, who came up with that idea, that version of the afterlife for the Egyptians. (laughs) But you was a rich person. It definitely was. was. (laughs) No commoner is going to buy into that. Be like, are you kidding me? You know, but, I mean, the people, the priests yeah. had to stop the line that the kings wanted. The people who yeah. came up with stories, they had to do what the king wanted or they'd be the next to go. So I'm sure there was a lot yeah. of influence. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And uh, no, I was, uh, where was, I was also reading another article that the Vikings, there was a, they found some, the same thing that they, uh, they would kill like, uh, like their favorite animals and their, they would mm-hmm. take all their swords and, you know, all their, let's say if they represented, let's say they were a warrior, all these things, like you said, it, it was across the board. All these different cultures had this belief of what I've got here now, I'm going to have in the afterlife. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you enjoyed war now, for you, heaven would be, <laughs> I could go off to yeah. war in heaven. Yeah, it's incredible, the, the, the mentality. But again, those were usually, you know, a lot of these ancient discoveries that they come across are usually people up the food chain in these cultures. Right. You never come across that much of the 
you know, the regular people, you know, the common or the slaves or the servant class or whatever, or farmers, they kind of like, right. you know, you were they lucky to. Even if they had the ability to come up with the, the ideas or to try to gain followers or whatever, they, they were, they would have no way to pass that knowledge down. They didn't right. have access to the supplies you would need back then to create, you know, tablets, then engravings yeah. and everything else. So all of what we get from the ancient world is from definitely it's from the tippy top of the pyramid right. of hierarchy yeah. of power. Exactly. Yeah, literacy. And in all these cultures, um, you know, you, you, uh, you find that because you were telling me that uh, that what you just dated, I didn't know that. What else did you come across that you thought was unusual when you were doing that research on that Encyclopedia of Hell? I was amazed there's actually a lot more overlap than people realize between religions okay. and, and their greater concepts. Um, obviously, there's a lot of contradictions, but there's some overlap. Um, the older civilizations tend to put a lot more emphasis on how you spend eternity is determined by your station in life or how you died. For right. example, if you died and if you died and were not buried, then you couldn't have a peaceful afterlife. If you died, like you were saying, in battle, then you went to the Hall of the Great Kings and you got to spend eternity playing war games, basically. Um, but then there was a lot of overlap too. every single culture that I studied had one sin in common that would immediately the equivalent of damn people. And that was harm to children. Really? Even, religions, even religions that sacrificed children, they didn't believe they were harming children. They believed they were sending those children on to a better afterlife. But all, all civilizations have had very, very strict, terrible punishments for people who would murder children or abuse them or, or, or deliberately bring Isn't them Isn't that incredible? It's, it's, because yes, you do hear of some of these cultures, uh, Mesoamericans, you know, and even ancient, you know, from one to understand, you know, in uh, Eastern Europe and, you know, all that area that they would have ritual sacrifices of adults and mm -hmm. children. But I understand what you mean, what you mean as far as that, how can I say there was no malice being there? Right. I'm they assuming there was no malice towards to the child. Right. They, their yeah. attitude is you're going on to something better. You would suffer here on earth. You wouldn't have a grand life. We're sending you on to something glorious. But you're right. There was no malice right. involved. They weren't trying to hurt the children. Right. And um, uh, let me ask you, as far as uh, in other cultures, like I said, everybody's very familiar with Lucifer, devil, Satan, whatever you want to call them. Was there equivalence in other cultures to, let's say, the Satan persona? Okay. There, as far a lot as... of cultures have some sort of uh, some sort of person who is the bureaucrat of hell. Um, in okay. some cases, it's a torturer. In some cases, it's a judge. In some cases, it's a records keeper. And then in a lot of cases, it's literally just sort of a bureaucrat who keeps the logistics of everything, of where people should be and what they should be doing. But um, differs from Satan in that in, in not all cultures, it's, it's not always somebody who is angry, who delights in torture. In a lot of cases, it's just someone who this is their station. This is just their job, basically, is to kind of keep things running. But it's not like a gleeful, oh, I'm so happy I get to torture these souls. Right, they, don't right, which a, is... they don't have a ruler like that. Now, you were telling me that you came across stuff that back when you were writing this book, pre-Y2K, you thought, boy, this is dark. I'll just keep this to myself. 
Can right. you give an example, a couple of examples of what you came sure. across? Um, there were a lot of sort of step-by-step -step guides to make literally the equivalent of poison, how to poison mm -hmm. people and put them under quote-unquote spells. And um, some of them were lethal, but some of them would just incapacitate people. There were a lot of really terrible crime reports. Um, people who said that they were doing things, you know, in the, to glorify Satan or whatever, but a lot of it was just debauchery. Um, yes. And, and that, a lot of that was pretty dark. Um, I, I had I had done a lot of interviews. Like I, I talked to an exorcist. I talked to various clerics. And a lot of times I'd done interviews and they told me a lot of really, really interesting things. But mm -hmm. they didn't but they didn't really fit my subject matter. My subject matter was hell, the place of hell, the realm of hell. So like if they were telling me about something that happened at an exorcism they were doing or a, uh, you know, a, a dark spirit, you know, from their own that they'd come in contact with or someone had told them about that wouldn't necessarily make the cut of the book just because it didn't fit into the overall concept. I wasn't right. writing a catalog of demons or of demonic activity. But I kept all that information. I kept all, all the notes. Um, right. I, just as a writer, I keep everything. I'm a research writer. I keep everything. And then, yeah, and then I was able to use it in this most recent book. And I'm going to, this is the thing. Uh, when you, um, I was, a matter of fact, I was getting through. I don't know if you're familiar. This is a book, uh, The Ultimate Evil, that uh, Maury Terry wrote about the Son of Sam murders mm -hmm. back in the 70s. And, you know, his theory was that the murders and you know not everybody was killed it was in other words it was a group it wasn't just right. david berkowitz and his what he proposed was and he was pretty convincing what he that it was uh uh satanists who had randomly gone around killing people like you said uh as part of whatever their you know they were how they were worshiping you know a satanist mm -hmm. very dark very dark stuff what they were and it's almost like that you think, how much of this is Satanism? If you want to call it Satanism, it is. But how much of it are we talking a warped personality? You understand oh, yeah. what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. There's, I'm sure, like you're saying, we'll probably never know, like you said, for a lot yeah. of these killers, how much of it was that they seriously had some kind of mental issue. Mm -hmm. And the way they indulged it was, oh, well, I'm going to worship Satan or I'm going to be as evil as I possibly can. Um, and I'll I just, and I'll get to hang out with others just like me. Most yes, of them anyway. Exactly. For yeah. a lot of people too, that's a way to sort of express power, uh, yes. to do, to do good and get any kind of recognition or get ahead with it in life. That's a very rare thing. That's it's, it's, that's not really how it works, but to do evil. And then all of a sudden you are famous, you feel powerful yes. to stand over a victim and see their eyes as you're torturing them. For a lot of people that gives them a sense of control that they yes. don't have anywhere else in their lives. And for some of these killers, I do think that it was that they started, you know, they say serial killers start with small things. They start by torturing mm -hmm. animals. Yes. Um, I think that's it. It's almost like chasing a high that when yes. they see, oh my gosh, look, I'm so powerful. I can snatch the life out of something. Well, then they need to keep going and going and going and right. being more egregious and, and more brutal in order to get that sort of endorphin rush that they got from that first right. kill. Right. So. And a lot of, and, and his thing was, it was, you know, when, when you've got a group of people, but in other words, when everybody's done dirt, so you, you, you're bound to keep everybody else's secret kind of thing. Right. So in other words, if you're not up to, they make you do things right. just so that you, you know, you've done something bad. So don't ever think about 
that's turning right. us you, in. Yeah, you've got something to hide too. So you won't, like you said, you won't be the one to spill the beans on everybody else. Right. And one time, um, getting back to that thing about hell, this was, uh, this is a really old uh, interview that I hope, well, I want to say it was in the late 90s. Um, this was Art Bell. Uh, this was, I want to say it was 97, 96, 98. And that, uh, uh, Father Martin, Malachi Martin, he interviewed him and he asked him one time, he says he had interviewed a woman who had been a Satanist and the woman has said, well, my daughter died apparently as a small child. She did this. She didn't elaborate how the child died or I think her ex-husband had murdered the child. One of those things she goes, well, I made, I made, I did something to make sure we would meet in hell. And Art Bell then asks Father Martin, even though he wasn't, you know, he was a priest, but he wasn't a priest. But anyway, mm-hmm. asks him, is that possible? How can she say that? And he said, yes, that these people can do certain things so that, and I think to myself, I, I can't understand the concept of anybody, of any human being wanting their afterlife to be in hell and much less having their child there with them. Oh, yeah, you know, I can't I, imagine wanting to have my child there at all. Um, no, it's... <laughs> That, you know, there is that saying uh, that it's better to reign in hell than to serve in heaven. Right. And I guess there really are people who feel like I would rather be in hell on my own terms rather right. than to be in heaven following God's rules. Okay. Um, and I, I always say the, the equivalent that we've probably seen to some degree in our own lives is most people know somebody who's living in pretty bad circumstance. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they won't leave the circumstance. Even if yes. somebody says, I'll give you a place to stay, I'll take care of you, I'll help you. The people right. are just, they're, they're comfortable with it. They're used yes. to it. They like the control of it. And I, I think that that is just part of the human condition, that sometimes we just choose against our own best interests. But I right. do agree. I, I can't imagine wanting my child to be suffering like Right. That. And I remember Art Bell was like, what is she talking about? And basically, yeah. the, the, the Father Martin confirmed that for him and it was like was one of those things that was left out there now let's fast forward you released this book bandoon gate now in 2022 and like i was telling you i started reading it it's fascinating just the little i and basically what you're saying is what you wove in what you had written about into but a Um, fiction yeah i started the the way this book sort of came about was two things happen in my life right after I moved to Charleston. Charleston is sort of known as a haunted city. It's considered one of the most haunted places in America. So there's already sort of that undercurrent of dark vibes. Um, It's a beautiful place, but there's that sort of, you know, spooky feeling too. Um, And then two things happened very close together. Um, One of them was I had been out sort of exploring in the marshes. There's, There's a lot of just open country where there's it's just thick marshes and woods and not much going on and not a lot of development and i was out there and i fe- i really did come across this very strange gate and fence it was just this massive massive structure okay. that had all sorts of different odd adornments attached to it um it had a, a like a, there was one panel the the gate was at least three panels tall and one panel was a life-size sort of like a representation of a human. It was a very odd mask. And then it had sort of like an old air conditioner was like the rib cage. And then it had these sort of pipes to be bones, but then it had all kinds of other stuff too, toys and tools and spoons and all these different weird things attached to it. 
And I, I'm a photographer too, so I took a bunch of pictures of it and I put them up on a website for South Carolina photography. And um, someone reached out to me and said, oh my gosh, I can't believe you went out there. That place is considered haunted and that gate was put there to sort of pen in evil spirits. And you shouldn't really be hanging around out there. <laughs> You're like, well, yeah. <laughs> that, so that, that had happened. And, um, and then around within a couple of days of, of me hearing that story, I got a phone call from my, my daughter. It was 21-ish at the time, 22. She was still living in Northern Virginia. She was living right outside D.C. And I got a phone call from someone saying, I've kidnapped your daughter. And in the background, I could hear screaming. I could hear a girl screaming. And he said, if you don't do what I tell you, I'm going to start cutting her fingers off. I'm going to torture her. And I was trying to get as much information as I could. And he hung up and he, you know, he basically said, well, you know, when you're, I'll, I'll call later when you're ready to, you know, to talk about what needs to be done. So I tried to get a hold of her and she always has her phone. Abby always has her phone. She wasn't answering her phone. I called her work. She wasn't at work. I called my two sons were oh. up there. Her brothers, they didn't know where she was. Her boyfriend didn't know where she was. We ended up calling in the, the police. Ultimately it was resolved. It was, and she's okay. She was okay. But then, then uh, when I was telling somebody this story about what had happened to Abby, they said, oh, well, that probably, you know, you shouldn't have taken her. I had taken her with me to that creepy gate. And they okay. said, well, maybe you know, something dark followed you. And I said, oh, no, she's fine. And they were like, well, how do you know she's fine? She's 500 miles away. And after that, I really did start thinking about, you know, well, what if something terrible did happen? I mean, it's what would I do and what would how would it unfold? Okay. And um and it, it really was a callback. When I worked on the Encyclopedia of Hell, my kids were little. They were really little. Then they were infants. And I had more than one cleric tell me and saying, you know, you have to be careful because when you do any kind of research into demonology, you're opening a door. That that's the one thing that demons love. They love attention. They, they want human interaction. And even just yes. doing something as, ego, as uh, simple as asking questions you're kind of opening the door for them. And, and I just started thinking about all those things. And this book came from that. And then there are, uh, the, great. There, there's a, the, the, who ends up being the, the person who ends up being sort of the dark spirit in this, that's also based on a real person. There was a woman in South Carolina who was so evil that when she died, no church would take her body. Uh, they were they were afraid of her spirit, and finally, a church out in Clemson agreed they they would take her and bury her there. But they had to wall in her grave, and over it's been about a hundred years. And over the hundred years, that that one area is constantly being struck by lightning. No matter how many repairs they do, the wall keeps crumbling. There are all kinds of terrible things that have happened out there, and the only words you can still read on this grave are "brother sorrow." Everything else has been obliterated. And the graves next to it are fine. Nothing else happens. There's graves literally. So let me ask you something. I, I imagine something like this has, she's, she had to have been, what, a murderess, right? She killed, yes. she must have. Yes, okay. she was a killer. Yeah. Right. Because people don't a, realize. There's not a lot, no, there's very little known about her. She, uh, her name's Eliza Huger. There's not a lot of documented. There's a lot of rumors about her. And they, and they also run the gamut from uh, she was a prostitute who killed her Johns and stole their money. Or right. she was just a wild, out of control, you know, woman who would just kill for thrills. Uh, there were rumors of witchcraft and of rituals and, and all just all sorts of things. But um, but there is documentation that she's from Charleston, but she's buried in Clemson, which is about two and a half hours away. And that's because nobody else would take her body, that she was that bad. People don't realize that back then, people really took it, um, 
you know how you hear about people suicides not being allowed to be buried in churchyards and things like that mm-hmm. people don't realize back then what they considered undesirables or thieves yeah. or murderers or suicides right. you know even in the afterlife in other words people the good people didn't want to get buried they, or or the paupers they would put them in a corner over there in the right. weeds they would put exactly there they just as you said they put them sort of in an unmarked field somewhere yeah. and they they took that very seriously the idea yes. of sacred ground and i think mm-hmm. too the families and the people burying them worried that well if we defile sacred ground something bad will happen to us yes. the living so yeah and um even the families uh, it was one time, um, you know, I was doing research for, this was, of course, way back then about, you know, uh, the brothels and things like that. And if your family was still in contact with you, they, they wouldn't even acknowledge you. Like, in other words, they wouldn't even come and bury you or at least nothing. There, this was, you were cut off as far as, uh, you, were dead to the family. you know, guilt by association, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. And... So I, this is, and I was surprised because when you set a gate, I was thinking, was this like an old entrance to some very old place? But you're saying that basically what it was made up of was modern things. What was incorporated into the gate? Yeah, it was the gate itself was older, and I think as time went on, people kept adding to it. Ah, so it was something okay. that people over time were sort of adding their own touch to. Okay, um, I understand now. And, and as the generations go by, every new generation they want to they want to put their stamp on it. What lies beyond that? In reality, was it? In reality, it, that was part of why it was so creepy. Is because there's nothing back there that I could see. It is this incredibly tall, elaborate gate. There's not even a real road. It's like a little dusty path, but it's all overgrown. Nothing could get through there. Right. And it, that's part of why it just seemed very strange. It, it was. It's. It's visually. It's very stunning. It's. It's very. Um, it's just so unusual and the size of it and the obvious time that someone that obviously I know now many people have put into constructing it and maintaining it. Um, but then there's just nothing there. There's no mailbox. There's no driveway. There's no house. There's nothing. like, right, right. This was the entrance to what? There's yeah. nothing. Yeah. Did you have you ever been able to find out how far back? People. When we were there, I, I actually went a couple of times. And when I was there the first time with my husband, we found it by accident. We were looking for something else. And we we got off on this side road. We found it by accident. And I had my camera and I said, oh, my gosh, Dan, I have to take pictures. You have to stop. Let me take pictures. So he stopped and I'm taking all the pictures. When I got back in the car, he wanted to, like, drive under it to turn around. And I was I told him, no way. Do not drive under that Isn't gate. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Even then, I didn't know anything about the evil. I didn't know anything about it. There was just right. something about it. I was like, I've seen a lot of horror movies. I've read a lot of creepy books. This I've is the part where everybody gets in trouble. Exactly. This is like how, this is how the really bad stuff starts. And even then, I was sort of half joking, but I wasn't. Um, and then when I went back, same thing. I was like, there's no way I'm going under there. And because that's what, uh, when I went back with Abby, my daughter, she's, she loves everything scary and creepy and spooky. She wanted uh-huh. to like, go back in there and see what was there. And I was like, no. <laughs> no, not we're not happening. going there. It's not no. happening. No. Let me ask you just out of curiosity, when you were doing that research on your first book, mm-hmm. you know, the encyclopedia, did any weird stuff happen? Uh, I did have a couple of strange things happen. The, the most traumatic thing that happened was I would get really terrible. They, they weren't really like nightmares. They felt very real. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they almost, they always involved my children who were little at the time. My kids would have been toddlers yeah. and infants. I had three within three years. So they were all really little. 
And what mm -hmm. really made them upsetting, the dreams so upsetting is that it was always bad things happening to my kids and it was always me doing it. It was me hurting the kids wow. or me, yes. you know, doing something awful to them or leaving them in the middle of nowhere and just saying, I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to be a mom anymore. And that and, feeling really stayed with me. I mean, yes. that was really, if it had been somebody else attacking the kids, obviously that's a horrible thing. But then you wake up, you go check on them. They're in their cribs. They're fine. Right, it's okay. Right. But just, and it, sometimes it was violent things, but sometimes it was just very um, sort of shallow, petty things I was doing to them. And it just, it was just terrible. It was really yes. bad. That was I, really I want to say for a mother, that's got to be one of the most scary things. Yeah. I hate to say it is something that has to do with your children. Yeah. You know, endangering your yeah. child is like, talk about, this is yeah. the kind of stuff like, you know, because I myself, you wake up and you go check on your kid yeah. just because the dream, if it has to do with them, forget it's, it. Exactly. You, it's not something you can just shake off. Yes. I had other strange things happen. I had strange things happen. I was writing this band and gay book and a lot of them were things that if they'd happened at a different time or once in a while, it wouldn't have seemed creepy. Mm -hmm. But there were things like, for example, we had lived in the house where I wrote the book. We had lived in that house for years. We had never had a bird hit the window. You know how sometimes birds right. fly in the windows? Well, one day I was talking to my husband and I was saying, oh, I'm thinking of, I, I need to write a sequence here that shows that things are amiss. I'm thinking of having a bird hit the window. And as I said it, a bird flew into the window and broke its neck. Oh, my God. A couple of things that happened like that right at the time that I was working on this book. That, and things like I'm that. I'm sorry. Was, that's not a coincidence. That isn't yeah, a coincidence. Yeah, that was very strange. That was a really strange thing. Um, my, my left, uh, one of the sequences I'd already written in the book was about a, a little boy and something bad happened to his hand, his, le his left hand. And... I would wake up for weeks after that with my left pinky was dislocated. I, I finally had to get a splint and I was, you know, and I kept asking the doctor, how am I doing this? How am I doing this? It didn't hurt. But when I woke right. up, it would be dislocated and bruised. And I finally had to just get a splint to put it in. So weird things like that kept happening. And there might be perfectly coincidental explanations, right. but the fact that they happened while I was writing it and in a very short time frame. In a time where nothing like that had happened, you know, right. like before since, I haven't had a lot of weird things happen like that. Right. And I understand exactly what you mean. Like that very, that, like what you said, that the bird ran, runs into your window. That happens. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I used to, I used to live in a two-story farmhouse. And I remember one time I come outside and I find a dead dove down right. at the bottom and I realized, I'm looking at him, and you can yeah. tell that it's neck. And I realized that yeah. it had just flown into the window. I mean, it's not something, but the timing on that was pretty yeah, unusual. That was, yeah, that it was, it was, it was not, it was unsettling. It was not a good. <laughs> Hippie, like okay. <laughs> yeah. And see, things like that are so. The basis of your book is that, and what comes with it. In other words, that that visit there innocently enough right and that's right the setup of the book is that abby and i are i just i decided to take her to show her this gate and that she unwittingly brings something back okay from the gate and the and the spirit of the that she brings back is based on eliza huger who is the woman i told you about who is so evil that no mm -hmm. one would accept her body um Right. And, and then there's other, I tried to bring in other local elements too. There's a lot of Gullah sure. culture in there and there's, 
uh, different Charleston ghost legends and, and just try to weave it in so that it's a, you know, that it's a coherent narrative, but, uh, right. I mean, I've been to Charleston a few times and I love to go to Charleston. There's a lot of stuff to see in Charleston. And I know the Golo that they have that hand blue color. And I remember taking a, we were, we were were taking a tour and then we went back and somebody pointed out one of the, she goes, do you see this, these modern houses, how they've got that blue trim? And I was like, yeah, there, he says, they still use that that hand blue, you know, somewhere in the entryway or the doorways. Almost because, every house here has that blue yeah. under. It's a lot of times, like you're saying, around the entryway or underneath, like the overhangs, because mm-hmm. they believe that spirits can't cross water. And then exactly. when the spirits see it, they think it's water, so they'll stay away from it. Right, right. That and you know, you think of that being an old stuff. No, they're still using that. Oh yeah, that's still a big thing here. Yeah. Did have you ever been able to research how long that gate? Well, I guess if anybody would make any mention of it or how long it's been out there uh the particular one that i found i did a little bit of research on it's all anecdotal though it's all like right that's what i'm thinking there and she um so yeah apparently it's been there in some form for a a long long time generations and generations there are lots of other similar structures around charleston too which have very similar stories that they've been put up you know how like if you ever go through pennsylvania dutch country uh, the farmers will put up hex signs at the barns to sort of ward off evil spirits. Yes. There's yes. like an equivalent down here yes. where they put up different things to scare away spirits. And um, and they'll decorate um, fences and gates or put up posts. So that, the, that, that custom goes back to pre-Civil War days. I wow. haven't uh, got an exact date on the, the fence that sort of inspired this one, but it's it's generations. That it's, right, it's because really, it's gener- let me ask something. Is this this is the area that they consider low country, or is that more towards Savannah? Yes. yes. Okay, it's all low country, uh, no, this right? Is, that, this whole strip, yeah, that strip is yeah. considered low country. Yeah. Going from the okay, Indola, that, Indola country, um, too, I guess the Sea Islands start really in, in the lowest part of North Carolina and go all the way to the sort of the top of Florida. Did you ever find anybody that was that knew how to explain what any of those elements meant? Like, oh, we put this in there because this is does that, or was it just a uh, hodgepodge a of, of stuff? I got a couple of di- I got a couple of different explanations from of different specific things that made sense. One of the overarching things that they said is that if it's an object that was significant to the person who put it there, it, it's considered mm-hmm. to have power. In, in Gullah tradition, uh, Gullah teaches that there's a lot of power in things that people either used frequently like a hairbrush or a broom or a comb or things they used uh, that were significant, like a pin that they wore on their wedding day or a medal right. that they'd won or things that, ha- that they had contact with right around the time of their death. That any, any object like that has specific and very um sort of enhanced power amplified okay uh so that's that's what we think some of the things on the on the gate were the things that were meaningful to the people who put them up um and then others they say are things that they like to uh to distract spirits anything that has like a human face or, or sort of looks like a human 
they like the idea that the ghost will go over and try to interact with that image rather okay. than come after a real person. Um, Goa mm -hmm. Lore teaches them that the ghosts here, that most of them are, um, they call them skin uh, skin shifters, not exactly mm -hmm. a, shape a shape shifter, but that they're looking for new skins to wear. Right. And so anything you can do to sort of detract them. Mm -hmm. uh, not on this date, but I have seen in other places. I don't know if you know, you're familiar with a bottle tree. That's yes. another very, very specific thing that you see those a lot here, which is sort of what it sounds like. It's a wire frame and then bottles go on. It's sort of tipped upside down with the idea that the spirit will go into the bottle and then become fascinated and right. sort of captured there. Right. Because I was going to ask you, it almost sounds like, you know, a lot also they have that root work out in That's that right. area. That's right. Okay. Where... Uh, they use exactly like what you're describing right. as far if, as if, if you felt like if, if you if you felt like um, I've got this terrible stomach ache lately and I think somebody has put a hex on. I think someone's put mm -hmm. a spell on me. They would call it put the root on you. You would go to a root worker or a root doctor and they would help you. They would help you remove the spell. A lot of root doctors here only do white magic. They won't cast spells, but they will help right. you remove spells. And that's what they'll do. They'll say, okay, you need to take something um, like uh, get a piece of paper, write the person who put the hex on you, write their name on the paper, and then get either dirt from like their footprint or something that they believed in and fold it up. And then you put that in your shoe and you walk around with that for three or four days and it will lift these, it will sort of take the, the hex away. Um, there's That's just a very simple, you know, basic. Right, right. Because they believe... Complex. I want to say that they, 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 there was a belief exactly like, we, you know, you bury stuff and, you know, right. whether it's to break the spell or even curse right. people, depending on, you know, how they wanted to work it. Right. Um, and I mean, they, you know, they, the root work also goes into, you know, what they call, you know, charms, like, you know, That's attract, right. let's say, yeah. love spells, things of that nature. Yes. And wait, but, and protection, there's protection spells mm -hmm. for children and, uh, a very common thing to see down in South Carolina is if you go to a graveyard to see coins on the graves, that's mm -hmm. part of that too. Um, you pay coins sometimes to protect or to um, specific coins um, are for specific honors. Like if you served in the military with someone, you would leave a very specific coin. If you knew the person personally, you would. Sometimes the coins you leave for people you don't like because you're trying to like say, hey, you know, it's like a bribe. Hey, leave me alone. And what you and one thing you never ever do, you do not take anything out of the graveyards here. In ch oh, no. in children's graves, people leave toys. It's very yes. common to go to a child's grave that's 150, 200 years old, but you can see there are new toys on it or toys that didn't yes. exist then. And that's usually someone in the family or someone who wanted to pay homage to uh, to the dead or to the family. And yeah, you never don't take anything. The, the right. Yeah. I tell people don't realize that a lot of it, it is. As a matter of fact, I, where I was going was when I asked you about where, where was that gate? I was thinking, was there like a cemetery or, you know, how they have these mm -hmm. old family graveyards oh, yeah. nearby? Yeah. I was thinking maybe this was, this was a reference point. To it could be. No, you know, and you know, some of these family graveyards, they're like... Oh, yeah, that's that's very common out here, too. Like you're saying, you'll be just out in the middle of nowhere, and yeah. then all of a sudden there's... Sometimes it's just one or two, but sometimes it's a couple of dozen with nothing yes. else around them. Or maybe like a little house that's sort of, you know, overgrown, yes. and it's obvious nobody's living there, but the graves are still there. Right. And people do. People still 
put flowers on graves. Again, I've seen graves that are that graves that are so old you can't read the stones. But yes. if you go there, you can tell people have come and put flowers there. And it's just, a, I think it's just a generalized sign of respect. Right. And, and uh, you know, um, people don't realize that in some of these graveyards, you know, there's, there's even with root work, there's stuff that's done with graveyard dirt. And that's a lot right. of times uh, they, like you said, they, there's stuff that's, if you want to look at it on a metaphysical level, that's inside, you know, everybody always thinks of the graveyard. Well, if there's going to be any ghosts, it'll be the people that are buried there. But you'll have a lot of people that will take uh, spell work items and dispose of them in and around graveyards and things like that. So, yes, oh, yeah. I agree. You have to be real careful. Don't take anything. Just no. leave it there. Just, no. It's just it's bad karma. You're asking it's for bad something. Karma. Like it's yes. disrespectful. It is. It's nothing it else. Is. Even if you don't want to believe in the ghost, just do out of respect. Don't, don't mess exactly. with it. Exactly. Exactly. And um, your book, again, getting back to it, is innocently and, and then something attaches. And that's the premise of your book is mm -hmm. what comes after an innocent visit to. Right. Exactly. You... And then and then the rest of the book is, okay, how do you set things right again? How do you get rid of an evil spirit? How do you how do you get rid of an evil spirit without doing evil yourself? That's a lot of what the rest of the Good book question, is about. Good huh? question, Yeah. Yes. Yes. And that's the thing that I want to say, you know, you might think of olden times people were superstitious or you want to call them ignorant. But it's almost like in modern times when people with their disbelief, it's like your 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 disbelief makes you ignorant. Let's right. let's 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 use that uh, situation that you describe in your book. Here you are, a person living in modern times, right? Where none of this is supposed to exist, right? You know, and people would call you crazy if you went if you called the police. If I called the police and said my daughter's been kidnapped, they'll come out and send somebody to help me. If I call them up and say my daughter's been kidnapped by a ghost, I'll be no. lucky if I don't get committed. I mean, no sure. one will help me. Sure. So. Yes. And I tell I actually that I, I had a, a I talked to an exorcist who said that one of the things that's that they have to deal with all the time is yeah that people don't take it seriously yes. that they either joke about it or yes. that uh, you know they they act like oh it's no big deal and he said you know it's it's hard to work with families and everything when or or people the people that you have to be in contact with when they have kind of a flippant attitude about it. But like you said, I mean, you could at least, even if you don't believe it, at least look into it, do a little research. Don't immediately dismiss it as, oh, this is just silly. Well, what happens is you even talk to certain, and I'm not even going to say Catholic priests, different religions. And if somebody would ever walk in there, I don't, I'm not even talking possession, but something, hey, something weird or whatever. Or I think they kind of like either look at you, first of all, to now, I'm not saying it's a bad idea to assess, are you mentally ill? But right. they're going to write it off to everything but that, considering right. that they uh, work in the spiritual area. You know, if right. you belong to a church, th they don't want to go there. Well, for a it's, lot of clerics, that's part of the process. And again, not just Catholic, because other faiths yes, have exactly. exorcism too. But a lot of them, that's part of the process, is before they will even consider that maybe an exorcism needs to be done, they will rule out everything else. Like they'll sure. say, "Is it could it be a food allergy? You know, did you eat something or drink something that's affecting the person? Yes. Could it be a mental issue? Could it be the, a gag? Could it be a hoax? They will try to rule out everything else. The other thing that uh, the exorcist told me is that... Um, if you go to a cleric and ask for an exorcism, one of the first things they'll ask is, why do you want it done? 
And there's only one answer that they'll accept. If you say I want it done because my loved one's in pain or because I'm worried or I don't want somebody to get hurt, they will you know, try to help you, but they will not do an exorcism. The only reason that they'll do an exorcism is if you say, I, I want to dispel the evil and I want to reconcile to God. And right. part of the reason they do that is because, again, they're trying to sort of, you know, they're trying to get rid of the, the like right. you were saying, the sensationalists or the people who are just thinking, oh, this is kind of interesting. Or the alarmists, the people who, yeah, you know, sure. maybe their child has a seizure and there's a real legitimate medical condition. Mm-hmm. And they're and instead of going that route, they're thinking, well, I'll just go to the priest. He'll throw some water. He'll say some prayers. Yes. We're all good to go. So they, they really take that seriously. Too. Oh, no, no. I understand totally oh, yeah. why. They have to, but I guess there's a difference between you go to a cleric and you, let's say you say, look, and, and, and you know, after a while, if you deal with people, you, you, yeah. you start, you have a pretty fine tune of when you're encountering somebody that might have some type of, of you know, break with reality versus right. somebody that you could tell is legitimately something's going on and they've come to you because you deal in spiritual matters, right? Right. And you believe them, but you're saying, look. And internally, I've got to rule this out. Their attitude is different. Right. There's a possibility. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you're right, too. There's definitely first, a stigma. You know what? Let's, even if they don't tell the person, let me rule out these regular. But then there's the people that they don't out and out believe it, period, even if right. they deal in spiritual stuff. And one time I was telling them, I said, you know what they do believe? It's just they're afraid of going there and actually yeah. finding themselves, actually right. encountering something that they might not know how to handle despite supposedly knowing how to. Yeah, that's all for a lot of people that, like you said, that's a coping mechanism. It's sort of the idea of if I don't turn on the light, I don't have to see what's there. Yes. And you're right. For a lot of people, it's like they don't want to face even the possibility that maybe no. there's something more going on that can't neatly be controlled and it can't be you right, know, you know, scientifically explained. A lot of people just don't want to even think about they that. They don't want to. You come to them with like, oh, my marriage is in trouble. My kid is misbehaving. Yeah. I'm having a, you know, personal. Okay, yeah, I can help you with that. Absolutely. No problem. You know, yep. we're with you. But you come there and you start talking about, look, there's weird, unexplainable things going on in my house mm-hmm. or yeah, maybe right. even or something like that. And they'll be like, huh? Oh, no, no. You know, yeah. and it's like, you watch too much wait a minute. TV or, yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like, yeah, you sure. I had, um, when I was doing some paranormal investigations, I haven't done some in a bit. I went to see this gentleman who that's exactly, he's Catholic. And he'd been living in this house for like 30 something years. He'd been living there a long time. And um, he had weird things started going on. And he was a regular churchgoer to the same church because he'd been mm-hmm. living there. And he tried to uh, approach one of the priests. And he said that the the priest was like, okay, okay. And he kind of li- did a very hasty yeah. house yeah. blessing on him. You know, like that's it. Yeah. And he says, look, I, I stopped pushing it at the, my church because I didn't want to be that guy. You right, know? yeah, you don't want to be the crazy guy. I don't want to, I didn't want to like, I didn't want to be that guy that is like, and you could tell that he says that priest, I mean, if yeah. he, he, did, he didn't want anything he, to do with it. He wanted, he just sprinkled some water, blessed the house and he yeah. was like gone. He was ready to move ask, on. Yeah. Didn't want to move on. Didn't know, you know, like what what's going on, yeah. considering That's that this question. is even a regular parishioner. And this is the part that to me, when he was telling me that, I go, you know, here's whether it was this priest, even though, you know, they rotate priests. Mm-hmm. If you've been a regular church goer to this parish for X amount of times. Yeah, he would know you. 
And you're like a regular person. What would make this regular person? Yeah, suddenly one day wake up and say, hey, something. Come in and say, I need your help because I can't understand what's going on in my house. Yeah. Which would think, okay, there's something here that I need to, you know, help this person with. Yeah, Whatever. you're right. It seems like, like you said, he would know the person well enough to at least yes. give him a chance. Yeah. A right, lot of people, right. though, like you said, it makes people uncomfortable. And even clerics and priests, I think a yes. lot of them are like, like you said, they're okay with doing sort of the basic stuff, but they don't, they don't want to go to that next level. No, no, they don't. They don't. That's why I'm saying that in modern times, our, you know, being modern basically mm-hmm. makes us ignorant. If, let's right. say, on the premise of your book, if you ever ran into a situation like that, where it's like, um, let me ask you, and I'm going without giving your book away. At what I imagine is your character at the beginning doesn't connect the dots as to why these things are happening, or no, no, not, okay. not really. And that's really how I am. That's why I'm saying I came up as a research writer. I've always sort of, whenever I'm working on a project, I sort of do it like, you know, almost like from 3,000 feet above where I'm just sort of looking. It's like putting a puzzle together. It's yes. not really taking a position on it. The Encyclopedia of Hell doesn't take any position on which, what if this is true or which of these is right. It just sort of presents the information. And right. so, yeah, it would take a while to uh, really feel like, is there something going on? Could Could there even be something going on? And then... And then realizing, yeah, something serious is going on. And then, of course, right. the next step, okay, now what? Well, now what? and this is the thing that I think a lot of people, because, you know, you always get, uh, let's go down the uh, the Judeo-Christian, the devil, you know, let's make a bargain, or they want he wants your soul. And I think sometimes people don't understand when you're ta- talking something hellish, let's go, there is sometimes they don't there is no bargain to be made they don't want they don't want a bargain you know it's not like i want your soul maybe what i want is just to destroy you or whatever or destroy the there is no moral compass no oh well let's figure this out you know and sign here and i'll have your soul when you die you know that typical right yeah there's no like dr faust showing up with the contract that you're going to sign in blood yeah right exactly it's just no um or hatred for the sake of hatred i think a lot of human beings don't understand that concept unless you're a psychopath and even then they're not, not, not emotional anyway uh right. but there's hatred for the sake of hatred or destruction or you know you even when you see murders you always see love revenge obsession mm-hmm. you know all these typical human emotions of course that go off the you yeah, know they end up in murder but you know haven't you seen those stranger on stranger murders where somebody mm-hmm. murders somebody they they have no grudge, no nothing right, with them. Right, no connection. No connection. I don't love you. I don't hate you. I don't know you. But right. they still kill them, and sometimes in horrible ways. And I think to the average human being, it's very difficult to imagine, let's say in this case, uh, a paranormal entity that would right. think like that. Not like a human being that you could tackle and shoot them or whatever, right. or arrest them. Yeah, you know? yeah it's like, here, here's something... That's non-corporeal, I imagine, in some cases. But, you know, why do you want to do this to me? In this case, because wrong place, wrong time, or you said the wrong thing. Right. One of the big big things with ghosts is if it's a ghost, they usually have a a personal mission they want to accomplish. Mm -hmm. A demon just wants to destroy things and cause trouble. So you're right. A a ghost, at least, you would, uh, you know, if, if... if you were ever to come in contact with a ghost, uh, the best you would hope for is maybe I can help them with their mission. 
Sure. Like I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna rest in peace. I'm gonna. Yeah. What is it? Whatever. Have you ever seen that movie, The for. Changeling, by any chance? Oh yeah, boy. I've seen the that. one with George C. Scott. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I think it's or great like, because um, it, I'm thinking more recently, like remember Sixth Sense, that the the ghosts that were you know haunting, they really just wanted some kind of, they just wanted closure. They wanted they had well, some sort of unfinished business. If you if you ever look at the movie of the Changeling at the end of the book, oh, I'm sorry, the movie. He basically he has he he found out who the child you know who the ghost or the child was, found out this whole dark history of what happened and why the child was killed. Digs him up basically, and he still keeps going. He's asking, "What do you want?" Because he's under the premise that I've helped you. I'm trying to right. lay you know they lay the ghost, and the thing still keeps going. The haunting still escalates. But we're always under that. What you're saying, well, if if I help you, whatever yeah. it was. Yeah. You know, you were murdered, and hey, we yeah. we find out who the murderer was, or right. nobody or knew what happened to your, you. Your kids, or something that something bad is coming, or yeah, whatever it is, yeah, yeah. get justice, yeah. yeah. Right, we always have like a resolution, but I think that that's what makes your book so intriguing, the premise of what I've read so far, which is like, how do you deal when it's not your typical like, oh, I'm going to, you know help you find peace you know with a ghost yeah. like you said the human entity thing yeah or sometimes yeah. if uh, you know in a lot of ghost stories what the ghost wants is something that's going to imperil you anyway i mean if yes. the ghost says oh i'm here for the mission and the mission is you help me kill somebody you yes. know that's a t that's a tough choice you know it's like well do i go along with helping the mission which means i'm now a murderer or do i you know in this case let them harm a family member or you know let some other terrible thing happen Yes. It's, it's a tough choice. Right. What if they want vengeance? Hey, that guy killed me or yeah. I want you to like, you know, let's yeah. even the score for me. I can't do it. So yeah. I want you to do that for me. And then I'll be rest easy. You know, yeah. I, I, there's so many ways. Yeah. Right. I'll leave your family alone. And people don't realize. I think that that has got to be one of the most terrible things. It's not what it's one of the, something like that could do to you. It's what they could do to somebody that you love. Yeah, I think a lot of that obviously came from back when when I was having the dreams about uh, when I was writing the hell book and I was having dreams, it was always bad things happening to my kids. And I guess in in this recent book, it then comes down to, okay, well, then how far would I go to help them? And, yes. you know, what would I commit atrocities to help them? And if I don't, does that make me a bad mother? I'm sure that all of that started back in the day when I was having all the, the dreams that, that you know, with researching hell. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes when you read about stuff like that, you realize um, that some of these things, um, you're, you're, it's, it's, you know, a lot of, they, they, even when you see movies like this, people don't ever realize what if that, that was a reality for me. Yeah. What would my first thing be? Right. Yeah. Besides going on Google, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, you know, and, um, and, and, and the reason why I know this is, you know, I've interviewed um, Exorcist as well. And I had one, he's retired now, uh, Archbishop um, Enbright and Ronald. Okay. And he he's retired, but he had a really, really, really serious health thing like during an exorcism. Wow. And even when he went to the hospital afterwards, I, I believe it that he had gotten liquid around his heart 
it was a really, oh really, really serious, like a, and the doctors couldn't quite figure out how this happened. In other words, this wasn't somebody that has some type of illness, you know, and maybe got, right. got aggravated. No, it was like they couldn't understand how this had occurred to him health-wise in his body. And yeah. I mean, he had, he was describing to me and he had been doing it for many years. And, um, and this was basically, he, he was not feeling good during one of the exorcisms. And, you know, some people could say, well, the timing on it or what was going on. But yeah, you see a lot of people that deal with that on a regular basis that sometimes, you know, you could say, well, things happen to people, but sometimes just like that bird hitting the window, when you're saying, when you're talking about it, yeah, it's like, okay, there's there's, like, there's more going on. feels like there's more coincidences popped out of nowhere. Yes, yes, yes. I think that. All right. So, are you gonna? Are you planning another book, or what are you gonna do? Are you gonna continue? <laughs> um, I'm writing a, a, another book now, but it's a different kind of book. It's about the paranormal, but it's sort of a different, different. Take. Really, it's not as not as much horror. It's more suspense. Yeah. Okay. It's about a, a mother who uh, is convinced that her son has a paranormal ability. The father thinks that it's just in the mother's mind that she's sort of you know, created this mythology around her son. Uh, the crazy, the friend, the crazy friend thinks maybe there's dark forces going on that the kid's possessed or whatever. And the police think maybe the kid is a budding serial killer. And so it's sort of like, well, which of these, what's really going on with this kid? Or all of the above. Or, or yeah, some combination. You or know something why? completely different. I tell everybody, I'm, I don't know if you remember that it, it was based on a Stephen King, the uh, Rose Red, the one that or the house that was in oh, Seattle. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That they stick all these bunch of psychics. They're trying to prove, right. you know, a professor. And I tell everybody, there's one psychic and who's a real jerk, <laughs> a real jerk. And I tell everybody, everybody thinks that because you're psychic, you're like enlightened. Right. You could be a real jerk or serial yeah. killer and still be psychic. That's right. You know, everybody, we've got this idea that if you're psychic, you're enlightened, you know, yeah. and, and, uh, and rainbows. And, exactly. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. Namaste, whatever. And you could be highly psychic and yeah. be a real piece of work. People need to stop thinking that, you know, those two shall not. No. So that's, yeah. right. that's right. That they can't coexist. That they can't coexist. Like, no, you're not going to be gifted with being psychic if you're a uh, a jerk I'm, I'm to... <laughs> but that sounds like a great book no, that sounds like you. a great book you know and the reason why i ask is that sometimes uh some of these books when you write them these characters take on a life of their own you know what i'm saying like yes like, i yeah. want to unlike the movies you want the sequel in the book version that's you know right what I'm yeah. saying? You, never, you never want a good book to end when you read no. the book, there's always that sort of sorrow when you close the back yeah, cover. It's like, oh, no, she killed the character. World. Why did she kill the yeah. character? So right, just yeah. Just walk away from that world. You feel like you were part of yes. it. And now it's all the time. It's like, oh, it's over. Yes, yeah. exactly. But you're exactly. Right. I don't know what, why, but you're right. But in a movie, you want resolution. You don't want open-ended. You want, like, Very you sequels want are really good. Kind of, yeah. But uh, I don't know if it's the imagination part that you do with the reading. You know, but yeah, you, you know, of course, with good writing, you have these, these characters that be, are three dimensional. They're like real right. people. And like, 
you know, you're thinking, what happened? Okay, the, even though the book or the story, it's the end. Yeah. You always think the aftermath. What happened? You know, Where's what if? Story? What happens next? Where are they now? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Miriam, it has been absolutely wonderful to talk to you. And well, you. I, let me tell you something. What little I read, it's a fascinating book. And especially that story that you told about, you know, how stuff that happens without you thinking about it. Yeah. You know, how you had all this information from when you were researching that book. How many years? 20 years before? Yeah, it was more than 20 years because the research started back before the, you know, the Internet to research a, a reference book. It took two or three years. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I'd have to go, you know, talk to people and I'd have to get I'd have to get books that maybe there's only a few copies in the country. Yes. Or, or right. Then you'd have to have the book shipped over to the library. And yeah. All the movies I saw, there was no Netflix or anything then. I'd have to find people who had copies of the movies and get them to let me watch it. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah, once upon a time, they had Blockbuster. And, and, you know, you could ask. And you could even, at some point, I think some libraries also would get you. That's right. People don't realize it's not as instant as it is now. No, no. Especially if it was something. I lived in D.C., so I had a lot of, there were a lot of great libraries there where they could get me stuff. But you're right. It's not like now. Now you can get whatever you want, whenever you want. What was it? There was was a movie I read about lately that it was, this is, William Shatner started it right before he became Star Trek Captain Kirk. Oh, my God. What was the name of it? Not Incantation. Was it Incantation? Oh, Devil's Reign? No, no. It wasn't Devil's Reign. It was Was that they fit. Oh, God. That he filmed it. Um, oh, and um, he and uh, Loretta Swit, I think, was in it. They were in a Winnebago no. on vacation. No, no, I know you're talking about. Oh, that's a different one. Uh, no, that's with. with um, this is. It was filmed in in all things in this made up language called Esperanti. Okay, oh, wow. black and white, which they didn't have to. But anyway, it was had to do with Satanism and weird stuff and whatever, whatever. Bottom line. Um, it, the, the film got kind of cursed because people dropped dead. Uh, obviously, not William Shatner. He's still alive, my God. But yeah. for some reason, this movie disappeared. And they finally yeah. found a copy of it like in 1991 in an archive in France. In other words, in the United yeah. States, forget it. It imploded. So they released it in Europe and in France. And then it did like this slow bloop. And they, in 91, they finally found a copy of it like in the movie theater wow. or something, you know, that we're talking about these films that sometimes to do research, yeah, if you try right. to find yeah. it, it's yeah, not like now, no. you know. Uh, even though if you couldn't even get the whole movie, you could at least get a clip. I mean, most, you know, places clip. you could at least see part of it, but yeah. Yeah. And they even it's say weird. back then there was a lot of these old Hollywood films that, uh, that they, by the time they actually discovered them and they opened them, they had been ruined. You right, know, inside the canisters and stuff yeah, like that. It's terrible, isn't it, to think about how much was lost? Yeah, you know, especially uh, in the what they call the pre-code Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Before the, even let I me mean, tell you something. Back then, people were wild. You know, everybody thinks of you know. Let I me mean, tell you something. Those twenties were something else. Yeah, <laughs> in some Hollywood. <laughs> Again, Miriam, it has been absolutely wonderful to speak to you, and I want to wish you the Thank best you. of luck. On likewise, take care, and I'll be I'll be staying on top of what. By the way, before I forget, for my podcast listeners, because I am putting a link to your website on the credits of the show. What is your website address? Uh, it's miriamvanscott.com. Okay, and you can also I think I also link to it on my Amazon author page. So if you just okay. go to Amazon and put in either Encyclopedia of Hell or Bandon Gate or, or just my name, it'll it'll pull up that. Perfect. 
Again, thank you so much and take care. Thank you, Marlene. Bye-bye, Miriam. Bye. Okay. Yay. See, I'm telling you, it took all my will willpower to end this <laughs> this interview because I could talk to her for so much longer. But then again, I don't want her to dissect the book and give it away. The, the idea is to read it. What I meant was, I started reading, you know, that Amazon offers you a preview of the book, you know, X amount of pages or whatever. I started reading it. And wow. And then I was like, wait a minute. It's referring to an older book that she had from the late 90s. And I was like, but is this, is this fiction or nonfiction? Because that first one is nonfiction. I was like, what? And I think it's great. I think I, I love that. And, and as a writer, I understand what she means about archiving things because I will run across stories and research and things and I just take it down because sometimes I don't have the time or it just doesn't fit into what I'm trying to do at that particular moment. But it's like, I can't let this go. I just can't because I'm, I'm not going to trust it to my memory because I know, forget it. <laughs> um, so you see me, I've, you know, I've got a little... You know, thank, even though I, I put a lot of stuff <clears throat> on my phones, I've got, you know, those little uh, things from the 80s, well-loved, well, 80s and 90s called the stickies. I've got my little pad of stickies somewhere on my desk anyway. I've, 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 you see me always like writing these little notes. And then after a while, I've got all these little stickies all over my desk. And then I just take them and hopefully I've kind of put an explanation. It's like, okay, do this. You know, because I don't want to let it go and then I research it. And even if I have to, you know, put away the information, I leave it there because I'm going to come back to this. And I do. And sometimes it's taken me a couple of years and I do get back to stories and ideas and exactly like what she was saying, information, just information. And I want to stress this because I've said it before in other shows, you know, like once upon a time, you had to pay to develop film. Yes, believe it or not. Once upon a time, which she's describing, you had to do research as in the legwork. And when I mean legwork, I mean legwork. Um, in other words, you had to go to the library, um, haul around, depending on what, your, uh, what you were you know, researching. Was it something like a hefty book or you needed to... What was it that I, um, sometimes I've, uh, I, you know, you see some of these older movies from the 80s and the 90s and you'll see students and you'll see them with all these heavy books or things at their table and, and, and it's like, you know what, that world doesn't exist anymore because everything is instantaneous where we have access to it on the internet. You know, YouTube, you know, how, how, did, how do I do that? Let me, you, let me find a YouTube video of how to do, you know, DIY or, you know, you can find it on the internet. And once upon a time, um, so my point being that when you put so much work into research, you kept every little bit of it, even if at that moment you couldn't really do anything with it. When you came across something that you were like, this is too good, I got to keep this. So I can understand why she kept all this research, even the stuff that she didn't use in her original book. And look, Little did she know that 20-something years later, she would use it. That, yeah, once upon a time, research was the R word. It was research. Truly. 
Okay, especially if you were looking into something obscure. And um, and if you want it to be accurate, especially if you were writing a, anything that was supposed to be nonfiction or a reference book. And uh, I think that's so... And that, that story that she told about coming across this gate out of nowhere. And for those writers out there, this, I think, and even there's so many writers that will say they, the idea for their books start out just like that. Something normal that they run across, either a scene or something like this, where they come across something that is so, maybe at the beginning it doesn't seem unusual, but it's the seed from which everything then flashes as far as the idea and what she said that she starts finding out. And then she does the tie-in. What would happen if I found myself in this predicament after running across this, which at first glance is nothing. It's maybe a very unusual structure, a gate out in the middle of nowhere. And it's very curious. But then you think, hmm, I think that, uh, let me tell you, I, I gotta, I gotta read the book. Um, because stuff like that is fascinating. And God knows she has a lot of good reference material to, to uh, insert into it. As a matter of fact, I am going to read you guys what the little snippet says, you know, in, um, you know, when you go to, uh, to Amazon that they give you like a little synopsis. And basically it says, uh, abandoned gate. All right. And it's, uh, if, if I can get this to cooperate, Let's see, hold on. It says, ghosts and demons are very different creatures, but sometimes they keep company. When I wrote a book about hell, I never dreamed the demons would come after me. Now, two decades later, dark spirits I had unwittingly riled have descended on Charleston, South Carolina, intent on revenge, led by the malignant spirit of an executed murderess. The unholy alliance has set its sights on my only daughter, Abby. Wow. Okay. Let me tell you something right there for all the paranormal paranormal enthusiasts. Let me tell you something. That's 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 the deal, baby, right there. So anyway, guys, please subscribe, uh, like wherever you find us, whether it's YouTube, any of the other video platforms, podcast platforms, so you can keep track of when we release shows. You can go to MiamiGhostChronicles.com and sign up for my newsletter on Substack. Uh, I put out there weird little articles, writing projects, uh, things of this nature. Right now I'm in the middle of one of my Sybil Universe um, stories. It's my, well, it's actually my fifth in the series. There's two full-length and two novellas. This is the the third full-length, but it's the fifth in the series of the Sybil Chronicles. And um, paranormal suspense thriller. Uh, I'm hoping to have it out sometime this year <laughs> because I'm also if you go to eerie.news I've also like every other day uh, I've put out a small segment about weird news that weird unusual stuff God knows there's you know there's other news that's like it's too worrisome let's 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 go off into weirdo land 
So I'll, I do eerie.news, not eerienews.com, eerie.news, and you can find articles there. And like I said, every other day or the most, every second day, I'll put out a broadcast about weird news that's going on around the world, uh, unusual things. And of course, uh, if you want to listen to any of the podcast versions of the show, go to MiamiGhostChronicles.com. I have uh, links there where you can listen to the podcast on the browser or download the MP3 files without commercial interruption. Without commercial interruption. Because, yes, I'm on all the major podcast platforms, but as you know, they do insert advertising. So depending, and I know some people, it's like, I want to stick to my regular stuff, you know, my my podcast platform or my video platform, that's great. But if you ever want to listen to something without any stops for videos, go to MiamiGhostChronicles.com. And of course, there you can email me any ideas, stories, suggestions, whatever the case might be, by all means, go there, check it out. I've got a lot of interesting stuff on there. And I've got a lot of fantastic guests on, I mean, like great guests coming on. New people like Miriam, returning guests like others. And some of them, I haven't talked to them since like 2017, 18, 19, three, four, five years. A lot of things have been happening with them. Okay, so it's almost like having a new guest. So I guarantee you guys, I've got interesting people coming on. And of course, I'll remind you all, you're all wonderful. And thank you very much for coming back every week and sharing this time with me. See you soon.